Well hello then and welcome to Passing the Baton. I think it must be now number 27 um, and it's the 25th of July. It's the Passing the Baton series 2 and the title of this one is A More Excellent Way and the subtitle is Love is a Choice. It's been said that one can give without loving but one cannot love without giving. One of the most difficult things to preach about in the church is death in the form of being crucified with Christ. It's a paradox that Christianity begins with closure, death to self, repentance from dead works, reckon yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ. So says Graham Cook in his book A Divine Confrontation. I want to explore three things today. The first one is closure. That's closure on the past and healing if you need it. The second one is conversion, that is turning, thinking differently. And finally, the third one, which is commissioning. And our commission is John 13:34, In the reading from the New International Version, a new command I give you, Love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. So let's look first at closure and then I'll give you the opportunity to identify where you may need closure on some things in the past before you attempt to live the crucified life and become alive to God and a more excellent way. At the last In Pursuit of Intimacy weekend here at Fieldview, the agenda was reflect and closure. This turned out to be quite radical for some people as they reflected on their lives and where they were. And God showed where there was a need for closure on issues in their past before they could go on to the next phase of their journey, which is conversion or changing their thinking in order that they may come into their new mandate or commissioning from the Lord. I think those present at that weekend would have described it as dynamic and life-changing. Our journey to wholeness is often slow, difficult and painful. We cannot dismantle our lifetime survival kits without some pain and difficulty. Some things God will do for you some things you'll need to do with him and others you will have to take responsibility for. In healing there are always these three elements. God's part, which is supernatural. Your part with him, which is agreement. And then your own responsibility for walking in what he's given you. Holding your ground. One battle to get free. Another battle to stay free. There are certain misconceptions about the healing ministry, a bit like there are about impartation. When you receive an impartation, it's intended to move you into process. If you don't go into process, which is your cooperation with the Holy Spirit in your day-to-day -day walk, you lose what you were given. For many people, relief from pain is understandably their objective. For others, 
The removal of an inconvenient problem is their goal in order that they can resume their lives. Healing is part of process, but repentance and change is also necessary if you are to come into the good land and inherit that which Jesus won for you. We're in a season in God where he doesn't need my or anyone else's intervention in what he's doing. He intends to connect at a very deep level with each one of you. He doesn't need me. What I do have permission for is prayer. So if you happen to be at the meeting today, you will get prayer for a breakthrough because there is a breakthrough anointing. If on the other hand you are listening on CD, God's just the same wherever you are. So you just stop at any time and seek him and he will meet you right where you are. So take advantage of that. After you have been healed, you take responsibility for your own growth and increase in communion and partnership with him. So let's identify some issues first. If you're constantly seeking ministry and never finding, in quotes, your healing, you may need to redefine your search. Are you healed but not wanting to take responsibility for your own journey? Preferring rather to stay with a vic victim mentality, you may actually still be living in a survival kit. Survival kits are of the flesh. Those very carefully constructed defence mechanisms and coping mechanisms which served us very well as children. They must go because we will never come into maturity while they remain in existence. They act as an effectual barrier both to healing and growth. For many of us, we are healed. Our struggle is with habits, patterns of life, attitudes, patterns of thinking, rather than the need for more healing. For some of us, a straightforward unbelief is our problem, and this is a repentance issue. Change your mind and believe what God says. The primary need here is to believe we are a new creation and there is available to us a transformation of our minds. You prove the acceptable will of God by having your mind transformed. You won't prove it with your old mindset. This is the process. Healing is always designed to take you on, to bring you into maturity and into your inheritance. It's not meant to be a place where you set up camp and stay, or you will develop a wilderness mentality. Going round the same mountain again and again, taking 40 years for an 11 day journey. Healing is just a staging post on the journey. There is a destination to reach. Let's look now at some scenarios then. At the shallow end, the most common healing issue, your parents may not have been able to demonstrate love and affection towards you leaving you with no experience of cuddles and hugs and an empty love tank, which I will call love hunger. 
Almost certainly you try to fill that hunger yourself by spending money, being a shopaholic, treating yourself to something nice to eat, turning to food, chocolate in particular when upset, drugs, drink, cigarettes, sexual relationships, needing to feel you're in love all the time, anything to fill the internal hole. You develop addictions without realising it, you just have to have your fix. Whatever it happens to be, that fix, because it assuages the pain and the emptiness. Some people describe this condition as having a permanent hole inside them, like a donut with a hole in the middle. Something there that has never been filled. Love hunger. Rejection, self-rejection and fear of rejection will be the three you major on and you'll have a number of habit patterns to work on. By that I mean habitual ways of thinking and therefore responding to people, circumstances and events. There's no shortcut with this one, it's a discipline. You'll have to get control of your thought life and you do it, that's your part. Just an example, do you perceive rejection when there is none? You talk it over with a friend and they say, I can't see that. Those suffering from rejection often do perceive that which is not there, sometimes to the point of paranoia. They operate in fallen discernment, which is judgment. If this is you, you'll need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal your thought patterns and behaviour patterns and work with him when he shows you what they are. This will be your responsibility on the, in the ongoing process. Remember, freedom is your goal. You may have had to act as mother to your siblings if you were part of a large family. You may have suffered verbal, physical, spiritual or sexual abuse. Your parents may have suffered some form of addiction to drugs, alcohol, gambling, etc. You may have had absent parents. By that I mean they may have been there physically, but absent in terms of emotional input. You might have lived a rolling stone life, moving from one place to another, as parents, jobs, etc. made this necessary, but it actually had a profound effect on you as you are now unable to settle anywhere and you've developed a rolling stone mentality which results in an inability to take responsibility in the ordinary affairs of life which just stack up unattended and moving on leave a, leave a mess, leaving a mess behind only solves the problem momentarily before the whole cycle starts all over again. Some of you may have recognised that because of the addiction of one or more of your parents they had what is called a codependent relationship which has left you with a legacy. Codependency is defined as the dependence of two or more people on each other which has the effect of reinforcing mutually harmful behaviour patterns. Codependent relationships are relationships of mutual need. The partner of an alcoholic or even the parent of a drug-dependent child need to feel needed by the substance-dependent person and become codependent. They lean on each other something like the shape of an A. One feeds the other, one needs the other. I have to look after him or her because he or she needs me. The result of being the child of a codependent relationship is that you will have very little in your love tank. 
because your parents were never able to give the love which they didn't have and you will have acquired patterns of living not unlike those of your family. You may be dominated by how people see you and have an urge to please them even at the expense of your own self-respect. Hating yourself the moment you've acquiesced to their unreasonable demands but you just can't say no without feeling guilty. Symptoms of codependence may include controlling behaviour, distrust, perfectionism, avoidance or denial of feelings, problems with intimacy, excessive caretaking, being a rescuer, hypervigilance or physical illness related to stress. Codependence can be accompanied by clinical depression as the codependent person succumbs to feelings of anger or grief over his or her inability to improve the situation because, after all, I'm responsible for the happiness of others. The tape subliminally plays in their head. Do you have a problem with anger? Children of codependents have a deep well of anger towards their parents, either one or both of them, which surfaces often with destructive results. Scenarios in your life have a habit of repeating themselves. You replay situations in a vain attempt to put the situation right in yet another set of identical circumstances. In this case, some of your traits may be a tendency to place the needs and wants of others above your own, feelings of self-esteem which you get from controlling the situation, I must be there for them or they cannot manage the they-need-me syndrome, anxiety when separated from those you perceive are dependent on you, a difficulty expressing your feelings, excessive worry about how others may respond to you, and you fear of being hurt and or rejected by others resulting in isolation. You are dependent on the approval of others for your self-esteem. You are what and how they value you. And finally you have a tendency to ignore your own values and attempt to follow those of others with consequent anger at yourself. Like a lot of other healing issues, codependency has both a shallow and a deep end, but it will revolve around both caretaking and rescuing people. Do you think you're the answer to everyone's problem? Do you have to rush in and straighten things out? Do you have the answer to everyone's problem in your estimation? Do you have to be everything to everyone? The list goes on and on. If you do, the likelihood is that you come from a codependent household or you've developed codependent tendencies yourself. You need to be needed in order to have an identity. If you should have recognised yourself in any of this, a little book entitled Love is a Choice would be for you. You can obtain it second hand on www.amazon.co.uk for as little as a penny. I got my copy for a penny plus, I think it was 2 pounds postage. 
But please hear me on this. This book is not intended to cause you to seek more ministry. It is intended that you read it in order for you to do business with God yourself. It's all about relationship, you and him. So don't read it with a view to seeking ministry. Do read it with the Holy Spirit's guidance. And when you find something that applies to you, speak to him about it. Don't necessarily follow the instructions in the book. Step by step, hand in hand with the Holy Spirit is the way to work your, your way through the book Love is a Choice. If you get it and work through it with the Lord, healing will come and you will be able to go forward into the promised land without baggage. It's worth a read even if you don't think you are codependent because there will probably be something there somewhere to help you in your journey to wholeness. Another couple of books I would highly recommend are both by Mary Pitches. A Child No More is one and again it's priced at a penny on Amazon and Dying to Change. Both of those you can get online. So why don't you, if this has spoken to you, take a short break now and reflect on what's been said. And if you discover that indeed you have got healing issues and need to make closure, talk it over with the Lord. Ask him what he wants you to do and then do it. So the second thing we want to look at is conversion or turning and thinking differently. Another way of putting it is death to the self-life. If we're to enter into the good land and come into the more excellent way, we have to settle the issue of who is on the throne of our lives. This is commonly called the crucified life and it sounds pretty painful. Death, as Graham Cook says, by instalments and none of us likes the thought of dying, particularly by instalments. Maybe some, if not most of us, have never fully entered into the death which took place the moment we were baptised into Christ Jesus, and therefore have never fully entered into the new life which we have in Christ. Constant struggle is the norm for us. Change is resisted and denial is encouraged. In order to be alive to God, we must surrender to him and to everything he brings. Dying daily is Paul's description of the process of change God has us in. If you enjoy God's life within you, you cannot fear change. Where he is present, resistance has died. Challenges are met face on with him as he changes us from one degree of glory to another. There is, it is said, no gain without pain. 1 Corinthians 15.31 says this, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. We are all in God's eternal purpose of being transformed into the likeness of his Son. It's called process. Romans eight, twenty-nine to 30 says it like this. 
For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. I don't know how many of you listening have heard the name Amy Carmichael. She was a young Irish girl who heard the call of God to go to India and she spent 55 years there without furlough, rescuing children who would otherwise have been taken into temple prostitution. Today we call it human trafficking, which is a euphemism for slavery. Wikipedia says this of her. She was commissioned by the Church of England Senana Mission. Hindu temple children were young girls dedicated to the gods and forced into prostitution to earn money for the priests. Much of her work was with young ladies, some of whom were saved from this enforced prostitution. The organisation she founded was known as the Donover Fellowship. Donover is situated in Tamil Nadu, 30 miles from the southern tip of India. The fellowship would become a sanctuary for over 1,000 children who would otherwise have faced a bleak future. She often travelled long distances on India's hot, dusty roads just to save one child from suffering. While serving in India, Amy received a letter from a young lady who was considering life as a missionary. She asked Amy, what is missionary life like? Amy wrote back saying, Missionary life is simply a chance to die. It's unlikely that anyone listening here has received the call of God to go to India or anywhere else. But if you do, it will simply be a chance to die. The call of God on your life will mean that everything else will be subordinated to his call, his plan for your life. People, even in the church, would either look at you with scorn or tell you not to be so fervent, so single-minded. Surely there's no need to be so drastic, quite so wholehearted. You will not be understood. But should you be blessed enough for God to count you worthy, to light a flame in your heart that will not be quenched, nothing is too great a cost to pay to serve the one whom you love with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Such a one was Amy Carmichael. Passion. We get embarrassed when passion is linked with the name of the Lord. But whatever you are passionate about will tell you where your affections lie. A call into the ministry will cost you everything you have. To walk the road less travelled, to live the Christ life, to become a servant, to become a son, will cost you everything. To live a more excellent way will mean forsaking all and following him wherever he chooses to take you. Luke 14, 25-33 in the New King James Version says this. It's headed up, leaving all to follow Christ. 
Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him who comes against him with twenty thousand. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So, likewise, whoever of you who does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. There's a difference between being a follower a believer and a disciple, and it's into this latter category that people like Amy Carmichael come. They're the ones who hear the call, count the cost, and go, even though it costs them their very lives. So, what about the rest of us? 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 says this, do you not know that your body is the temple, the very sanctuary of the Holy Spirit, who lives within you, whom you have received as a gift from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, purchased with a preciousness and paid for, made his own. So then, honour God and bring glory to him in your body. We still have the call to die upon our lives. But ours is a daily dying to the flesh life, that the Christ life might become manifest in and through us. The powerless Christianity which most of us experience is crossless Christianity. We have neither died to ourselves nor to the world which constantly beckons us. Dying is not a joyless thing. It's the most joyful experience to be released from the tyranny the slavery of the self-life. Hear Paul on the subject. Romans 8, 12-17 And the message says it like this. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, What's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are. We know who He is and we know who we are, father and children, and we know we're going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with Him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with Him.
It isn't just about dying to the old, but being filled with the new and finding a more excellent way, the way of love. 1 John 4 verse 12 in the Amplified says this, But if we love one another, God abides, lives and remains in us, and his love, that love which is essentially his, is brought to completion, to its full maturity, runs its full course, is perfected in us. And again, Romans 13, 8-14, in the New International Version. Sorry, 8-10. to 10. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever com other commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbour. Therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. This scripture hit me afresh as I was studying for today. Love does no harm to its neighbour. I found myself referred straight back to the Ten Commandments, four of which relate to God and six towards our fellow man. Jesus told us, didn't he, that he hadn't come to abolish the law but to fulfil it. Matthew 5.17 says that, Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets, I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfil. Love is a choice. Love doesn't set out to hurt people. Adultery, murder, stealing, bearing false witness, coveting, all these are hurtful and do not fulfil the royal law of love. Love by the end of today we may find is not what we thought it was. Love defined in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8 in the Amplified Version says this. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love is never envious nor boils over with jealousy. Is not boastful or vainglorious. Does not display itself haughtily. Is not conceited, arrogant and inflated with pride. Is not rude unmannerly and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it's not self-seeking, it's not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at the injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. Such a familiar passage. And then there's the passage in Galatians, defining the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, verses 14 to 24, in the Amplified Version. 
for the whole law concerning human relationships is complied with in the one precept you shall love your neighbour as you do yourself but if you bite and devour one another in partisan strife be careful that you and your whole fellowship are not consumed by one another but I say walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit then you certainly will not gratify the cravings and desires of the flesh of human nature without God for the desires of the flesh are opposed to the Holy Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are opposed to the flesh godless human nature for these are antagonistic to each other continually withstanding and in conflict with each other so that you are not free but are prevented from doing what you desire to do but if you are guided, led by the Holy Spirit you're not subject to the law now the doings, practices of the flesh are clear, obvious they are immorality, impurity, indecency idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, ill-temper selfishness, divisions, dissensions, party spirit factions, sects with peculiar opinions, heresies, envy, drunkenness, carousing and the like I warn you beforehand, just as I did previously that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law and now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires God cannot do through us what he cannot do in us if you have never really understood that Christ came to set you free from yourself to deal a death blow to the nature of sin and rebellion within you you've never understood what forgiveness is and never had the joy of being filled with his light and forgiveness what will happen then is that you'll have an ordinary life, a joyless life a life far short of that which God intends because you've never experienced the joy of your salvation sin is dealt with it was dealt with on the cross Jesus died not so that you would recognize an historical fact or memorize a particular doctrine or continue with life as you did before his death was God's decisive action in conquering sin once and for all and in the act of baptism you are recognizing this and rising to newness of life in him when we talk of the cross in our lives we're talking about releasing our lives in such a way that he can express himself in us and through us Philippians 2 5 let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus that word let tells us that Paul is speaking of a choice we can either let it happen or not so when Paul tells us to have this same mind that Christ had he's telling us to let God have his way to accomplish his purpose in our lives 
even to death on a cross, no matter what it costs. It's time for us to stop being casual about the kingdom. There's an acceleration according to God's word to us. We must begin pressing into everything Jesus won for us on the cross. It's time to accept, believe and live in the fact that we are joint heirs with Christ and we are meant to reign and rule in this life as well as in the life to come. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom is now. God is holding out such great and glorious opportunities to us. All we need to do is receive them. Take them. Stop asking. Receive. They're yours. Time to take advantage of his grace and goodness towards us and stop asking for what we already have. It's time to embrace the cross and let Jesus have his way with us. We have so much to gain for eternity and so much to lose if we hang back. The good news is that we are the glorious eternal companion of an incredible king. We are destined to share his throne. We have territory to take and that territory is both internal and external. He's given us the nations as our inheritance. It's time to press in and possess the land. It's vital to believe all that is in God's heart for you. You have been robbed long enough. Let's turn the tables and do some robbing ourselves. Everything is yes and amen in Jesus. What's the question? Understanding your identity in Christ is so important because your inheritance follows. It's time to stop waiting for something to happen. It already has. Jesus has done everything that needed to be done. We belong in the throne room. We are no longer in hiding, no longer in shame. The cross gives us the confidence to come and we cannot come unworthy. We belong there. So today is not just about getting rid of the old, but taking on the new. That is so important, beloved, that you begin to live and think as a much-loved child. That you understand what Jesus did on the cross and you begin to live in that identity and give thanks from there. That you begin to understand the fullness of Jesus' work on the cross, which is not just so that you should go to heaven when you die. You have an identity, you have a purpose, and you have a destiny. Let's get this show on the road. You are worthy. You are worth what Jesus paid for you. You are his bride. You are a joint heir with him. It's his idea, not yours. You will reign with him eternally. All things belong to you and you belong to Christ, and it's in him that everything is yours. Abiding isn't an option. In him are all things. Outside of him there is nothing. Nada, zilch, nothing. John 15:7 in the New American Standard Bible says this, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, whatever you ask, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
What a promise. Everything is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Your inheritance is for now. You get it when somebody dies. Jesus did. If I'm in my old mindset, I can't receive it because I can't prove the good, acceptable and perfect will of God. Only my renewed mind can. So we have to be transformed in our thinking. Decisions now that define us. I've spoken before about the decisions that define us and what I mean by that is that there comes a time when we actually decide before God that we're going to give this thing all we have. That we cannot live a substandard life any longer and win, lose or draw, we're giving everything to him. That is a decision which defines us. So the question before us today is do you want to advance and go into the promised land? If you do, what you need to realise is that you are accepting God's process and that will mean you're prepared to work with him to hold what he gives you. And you're prepared to push in for more and come into your inheritance. This is not charismatic magic, impartation, hands laid on and off you go. As I said before, from impartation the next step is process where you choose day by day, moment by moment, to be kept in his love and walk the higher path. Death on the instalment plan. You do it. Passivity has to go. It's called working out your salvation. You take responsibility for your own growth and increase before God. Enjoying the journey, walking the road less travelled, a more excellent way. Philippians 2.12 says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You do it. When God wants to reveal his glory, he has to set things in order. And when he set things in order, there is more room for his glory. In this process of revealing more of his glory, some dismantling and displacement has to take place. This can look like chaos to us. We like things in nice boxes and he doesn't work like that. His idea of order is much more like a building site with holes, pipes, window and door frames sticking up and unfinished business all over the place. There is pain and excitement at the same time, which equals tension. But out of that tension, something is being birthed in us. When God creates something new, he doesn't build on the old. He digs up the foundations. Each time he's moving us to a new place of trust and vulnerability. This process is normal. We reach the next level and then the whole thing starts all over again to obtain the next level. There's no map. Only the bleached bones of those who went before and forged away. We follow the Holy Spirit as they did. Old mindsets are smashed. What I thought I knew last week I find I don't know this week. Brilliant for some, disastrous for others, depending on how we look at life, how much we need control and where we put our faith and in what we find our security.
We all have a measure of faith. It just depends where we put it. When we're born again, very few of us were told that God wanted to achieve a complete transformation of our minds. Romans 12, 1 and 2. The way that we think, and therefore the way we live out our lives. This eventually boils right down to a different way of living, a different way of loving, because love is a choice. Romantic love, eros, is what we are familiar with. We imbibed it with our mother's milk. We're born with it. It gives us a warm fuzzy and loads of good feelings, what we call the feel-good factor, and everyone chases after it. Agape, on the other hand, is the love of choice, self-sacrificing love, and we are unfamiliar with it. James 4 highlights the problem like this in the message, and it's headed up, get serious. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. Your spoiled children each want in your own way. You're cheating on God. If all of you if all you want is your own way, flirting with the world at every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and his way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that he's a fiercely jealous lover, and what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. So let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. Don't badmouth each other, friends. It's God's word, his message, his royal rule that takes a beating in that kind of talk. You're supposed to be honouring the message, not writing graffiti all over it. God is in charge of deciding human destiny. Who do you think you are to meddle in, in the destiny of others? Now I have a word for you who brashly announced today, at the latest tomorrow, we're off to such and such a city for the year. We're going to start a business and make a lot of money. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. You're nothing but a wisp of fog, catching a brief bit of sun before it disappearing. Instead, make it a habit to say, if the master wills it and we're still alive, we'll do this or that. As it is, you're full of your grandiose selves. All such vaunting self-importance is evil. In fact, if you knew the right thing to do and don't do it, that for you is evil. We all know, I'm sure, that familiar feeling of something rising up in us when someone says something that touches a raw place. Some of the more super-spiritual among us would say the spirit was grieved. What you actually experienced was your old nature rising up, but you didn't recognise it. 
This is the thing about which Paul speaks continually, putting it to death in order that God's life in us can be revealed and released. There are two minds at work in us and there are two wills at work in us. The Bible clearly shows us. There's the mind of the flesh and the mind of the spirit and the will of the flesh and the will of the spirit which equals conflict. Whichever will or mind we submit to will be the one that will rule us. Our first step therefore is to identify the beastie in order that we can make quality choices about where we're going to live. Old nature or new? In the fullness of what Jesus won for us on the cross or somewhere in the shadow of the cross never really gaining our own inner territory or crossing over into the promised land. In order to go into the promised land we have to get healed. We have to get radical with ourselves, make war on ourselves, face ourselves in ways we would probably rather not and we have to press in. Effort is required. This is the conversion process. We face those weak spots and acknowledge that we have little or no power over them and we need help. Holy Spirit, we need help. Honesty, much like charity, begins at home. First on me, that hand must fall. Deal with me ruthlessly and correct me severely and we need to mean it. Little progress will be made until this decision is firmly and frequently made, until it becomes a habit and you actually relish the hand of God on your life because you know it's transforming you into his image, which is what it's all about. The life of the fallen nature is always to possess. It covets with a deep and fierce passion. There is within each and every one of us an enemy which we tolerate at our peril, so says A.W. Tozer in his little book, The Pursuit of God. He goes on to say of the man in pursuit of God, if he will become drastic enough, he can shorten the time of his travail from years to minutes and enter into the good land long before his slower brethren who coddle their feelings and desist upon caution in their dealings with God. It's an issue of the will. It's an issue of desire. We've talked about both recently our wills and our desires. We've also talked at some length about the flesh versus the spirit. Romans 8, 6 For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. You can only replace a mindset with a mindset. So the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Tough choice, death or life. The natural mind is hostile to God. Romans 8, 7, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. The first barrier you'll always have to overcome is yourself. 
It isn't other people, it isn't the enemy, it is you. We're always our own worst enemy. The enemy can only use what we give him, so be very careful what you give him, what you do with your mind. Don't give him space there. We're on a journey into the good land that the Lord our God has set before us. Like the Israelites, we have to go in and possess. This is our part. But first we have to decide whether we, whether or not we really, really want to go in because it's one thing to gain ground and a completely different thing to hold that ground and press in for more. I recommend a book entitled Holy Transformation by Chip Ingram. In the flyleaf it says this, how can we claim that Christ makes a difference in our lives when our lives don't really look much different from the rest of society? And another one called The Mind of Christ by T.W. Hunt, which comes also as a workbook, and you should be able to find both of those again on www.amazon.co.uk. We have to develop a long haul rather than a short sprint mentality. If you're up for this, then now's the time to take a break and tell the Lord. What you're saying is, I accept the process, Lord. I want to die to myself and be alive to God. I surrender to your Lordship and I am committed to having the mind of Christ. So we come to the third now and last section here, which is the commission, a more excellent way. And the third group of people, those who are ready to take that road less travelled, the more excellent way. John 13:34 says this in the NIV, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And 1 Corinthians 12, 31 uh, and then verse 13 in the message says this, But now I want to lay out for you a far better way, or a more excellent way. And it's headed up the way of love. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything as plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So, matter what I, so no matter what I say, what I believe and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle doesn't keep a score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, 
Trust God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Inspired speech will be over some day. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We know only a portion of the truth. And what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incomplete will be cancelled. When I was an infant at my mother's breast, I gurgled and cooed like any infant. When I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. See it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly, just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us towards that consummation. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. Love extravagantly. And the best of these three is love. So we come to the focus of today, which is that we might walk a more excellent way, the way of love. This is the most costly of all the disciplines you will experience in your Christian walk. And you need to think carefully about committing yourself to this road. Once you've done so, you cannot argue with God about anything or anyone he brings into your life. It is his to live and yours to die for. Let's assume then that you've decided to make war on yourselves, which is what it amounts to, and now you decide to go into the promised land, taking the more excellent way. When we're born again, that transformation of our minds referred to in Romans 12, 1 and 2 isn't automatic, as we've already seen. There remains much ground to be taken. Let's just look at it once more. Romans 12, 1 and 2, headed up living sacrifices. Therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing and perfect will. This is that about which I've already spoken. Testing and approving what God's will is, is done through the renewed mind. When we responded to Jesus and we were born again from above, the Holy Spirit established a beachhead or a bridgehead in our lives. What had previously been enemy territory was invaded by God himself, but that isn't the end of the story. There remains much ground to be taken. John 1.12, the King James Version says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. It's a very interesting point that most of the contemporary versions say that he gave them power to become children of God. I disagree with this because we all became children of God the moment we were born again, but we do not become sons without the power. 
and he gave us power to progress to sonship but there is a process in which we become involved whether we realize it or not the process of maturity from nepios which is a child without speech to huios which is a fully mature son is the process everything in our lives is designed to bring us into something greater than we are currently experiencing it's not there for us to cry out for deliverance it's there to bring us into maturity God's goal for each of us is maturity 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 your growth is about your identity and your destiny in God everything is for the good though it doesn't feel good sometimes everything is necessary for identity for faith for relationship with God or for warfare everything may be turned to profit with the right attitude Hebrews 2.10 says in bringing many sons to glory it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering gives us a journey bringing sons to glory the important thing is that God establishes this bridgehead and then the battle for the rest of our soul begins and this is where we are in for the long haul not the short sprint we're at war with ourselves and we need to enjoy the fight this beastie must yield to the sovereignty of God in our lives or we'll remain chickens instead of becoming the eagles we are destined to be those of you who have been following the teachings will recall when we studied spiritual warfare and the rule of life in that we learned that life in the spirit is about choices we choose to love we choose to turn the other cheek we choose not to retaliate but let God vindicate us always life or death revolves around our choices in warfare fighters go in to establish a bridgehead and fighting from there they gain more and more ground with the troops coming up behind holding the ground a bridgehead according to the dictionary is a military fortified position from which troops defend the end of a bridge which is nearest to the enemy a military forward position seized by advancing troops in enemy territory and serving as a base for further advances a position from which advance further advancement excuse me can be attained a beachhead is much the same troops are landed on the beach such as the normandy landings in france during the second world war and they hold that they're in enemy territory but they have established a beachhead and from there they press in to take the nearest village and so forth in our christian walk we should go from bridgehead or beachhead to breakthrough continuously taking background and it's called process i'm using military terminology because we are in a battle and we're all at least foot soldiers if nothing else this bride is wearing combat boots make no mistake about it if you decide to go forward and contest the ground within yourself there will be a battle your soul has had the rule for a long time and it does not give up its right to rule easily just listen to your flesh when you want to fast for a day all the arguments imaginable begin to make to take place the battle is real 
and it's largely within you because you cannot take ground from the enemy if he has ground in you. Everything is about growth and maturity. Because we are born with this Eros love, we imbibe it with our mother's milk. We find it difficult to realise how entrenched we are in this kind of self-serving love. The bottom line is always how it affects me. Our ability to love and be loved then is shot through with the fall, even when we're born again. Our love is self-centred. It always seeks what's best for itself. And before you protest that you put your loved ones first, think a little more deeply about why you do that. If we're honest, we'll find the bottom lines about us. What about me? Self seeks to satisfy itself always, not others, even our nearest and dearest. It would break my heart if you left me. Love centering on how it will affect me. It acquires, it seeks to acquire, then possess, and finally control the object of its love without which it cannot survive. It would break my heart if you left me. The ultimate manipulation of self is, I will kill myself if you go. Don't think it doesn't happen, because it does. You may have experienced the man who's in love and he can't leave his love alone. He says it's because he loves her, but actually his attentions distress her. What's that? That's Eros. He's indulging himself. He's not pleasing or doing the best for his love. It's a simple example, but it shows the difference. If he agaped her, he would respect her wishes, not pursue his own desires. Eros. So ingrained is this pattern within us that even though a divine seed is placed in us at the point of conversion, it sometimes never sprouts or grows. It's never vivified. It brings forth little fruit, which is the character of Jesus. Instead, it lies dormant with self-centered or eros love on the throne of our lives. We're at the center never having relinquished control to the Holy Spirit. This isn't a condemnation, beloved. This is a diagnosis of a spiritual disease which is killing us. It's invisible. It's like a virus that is resistant to all antibiotics. Unless we have a correct diagnosis, we're incapable of understanding what we need to do to get well. Unless we face the hard facts like an alcoholic, if we deny we drink, we'll never seek help to get free. Self-centeredness, common love, eros, is just as potent and damaging. It is silently killing us and those around us by its demands. Paul's whole thrust in the New Testament about putting off the old nature and putting on the new in Christ is about the shift from Eros to Agape, from the love which seeks the best for itself to the love which seeks the best for others. We call it a multitude of things, the flesh, the carnal nature, the old Adam, the Adamic nature, the fallen nature, but essentially it's our self-centeredness which results from the fall and it is at war with God. Paul says so in Romans 8, 7. That is, because the mind of the flesh, with its carnal thoughts and purposes, is hostile to God. 
for it does not submit itself to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Notice the word submit. The carnal mind, the unrenewed mind, the fleshly mind and nature will not bow the knee to God's reign and rule. Lordship is the issue here. We've all got it. We get to choose where we live, moment by moment, day by day. It isn't a salvation issue, it's a continuous issue. Jesus said, these are they who have continued with me through my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one on me. That's Luke 22, 28 and 29. From this we begin to see kingdom emerge. Continuous are living kingdom lives. And to live a kingdom life we have to do at least five things. The first one is that we absorb human failure. That will mean forgiving others as a lifestyle. The second is that you love others without reward. Not the back scratchers syndrome. They've been good to me so I'll be good to them. The third one is being prepared to suffer. The fourth one is interceding on behalf of others who we may not particularly like. The fifth is extending mercy to everyone as we have received mercy. We will then begin to walk in the agape of God and give it away, dying daily to our wants and needs, trusting God fully for those and extending his love to everyone we meet. This then is the more excellent way. This is the way to grow up. This is the way to maturity. Love is a choice, an act of the will. It's voluntary. It's what we deliberately and consciously choose to do. Selfless concern, unselfishness, brokenness. Do as you would be done by. Matthew 7.12 in the message puts it like this. Here's a simple rule of thumb guide for behaviour. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and prophets and this is what you get. We're called to be ambassadors for Christ in this world. We're called to represent the glory of God and the glory of God is his nature being shown forth in and through us as his people. It is our privilege to receive the fullness of Christ and reveal his loving kindness and his nature to those around us. Nobody should be safe from a blessing where we are. As Christ is formed in us we take on his nature as we walk in what he commanded us as a priority. Luke ten twenty seven NIV Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. The Christ life is revealed in us. But first, first, 
we must learn how to receive that love from God himself. Our human love will not cut it. We have to learn to be the beloved before we can embark on this road. Always it comes back to this, our relationship with him. Because the natural outflow of God's love towards us is our love towards others. We can no more hold that back and hold back them hold back the tide once we are receiving from him. We love because we are loved. We love because he first loved us. We give because he freely gave his son for us that we might become sons to his glory. You may be begin to be seeing why it's so important that you spend time with him every day. That you allow yourself to be loved and received from him. That you are saturated with him and his word. That the Christ life might be formed in you. One life to be lived, his through you. The moment of our salvation was just that. We got saved on a fragment of the truth. Then we start our journey into his great heart. His love covered the multitude of our sins. Every failure in our lives, every inconsistency is covered by his faith and faith, love and faithfulness. How can we not love him? And the evidence of his life and love in us is how we love ourselves and those around us. Slight change of mindset needed, maybe. I'm saved for a purpose, and that purpose is to live in God's love and give it away. Ambassadors. Two Corinthians five eighteen in the Amplified says, "So we are Christ's ambassadors. God making His appeal, as it were, through us." So you're not just making a decision to be a disciple here, but to come into that deep love relationship with the Father and Jesus through the good offices of the Holy Spirit who longs over you jealously. An upgrade in how we see God is not just useful, it's a necessity if we are to walk this more excellent way. We must be filled to all the fullness of Christ. Paul's words on the subject in Ephesians 4, 1-3 and 13-32, the New American Standard Bible. Therefore I, as a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. 
from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building of itself in love. So I say this and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance which is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you didn't learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak the truth each one of you with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labour, performing with his own hands what's good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good <coughs> excuse me, for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Everything we do in this Christian walk ends in warfare. The enemy hates love with a passion because he's the exact opposite of everything that love is. You will experience warfare if this is the way you choose, not only with yourself but with the evil one, but you'll find yourself in the process of maturity and joy, walking a more excellent way and a road less travelled. So books that I recommend for this group uh, Graham Cook's Towards a Powerful Inner Life, available from www.brilliantbookhouse.com. Reduce Me to Love by Joyce Mayer. And Just Love by R.T. Kendall. A booklet by Mother Basilia Schlink, The Secret of Loving When You Can't. And last but not least, the Agape Road by Bob Mumford, which will lead you into this Agape Reformation. So right now, you may want to follow me and pray this prayer. It's headed, Lord, change my love. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, 
recognizing that in me dwells no good thing. You've just shown me that even my love for my nearest, my husband, wife, children, friends, parents, is shot through with sin and self-centeredness. You built me to need love and grow mature within the love of families and relationships. But I see, Lord, that the love I grew up with was faulty. I see that the pictures and ideas and concepts and images of the way I grew to understand love are shot through with use and manipulation, exploitation, possession, control, demand, criticism and judgment. Lord, I don't want that anymore. I want your way of loving. And so I say, thank you for love. But my love is filled with sin. I use and manipulate, possess and control, condemn and measure and use and judge. Lord, bring my love to death on the cross and raise up in me your way of loving. Please turn my eros into agape. Thank you, Jesus. Please set my loved ones free from me, so they are free to be to me all that you intend them to be, and I may be to you and others all you intend. In Jesus' name. So the final group of people are those who have decided to put to death the flesh life and are really wanting to take ground and enter the promised land. You'll be up for the fight, ready to put to death the deeds of the flesh and coming into agreement with God's purposes for your life. You've recognised and counted the cost of being a disciple of Jesus and have made the deliberate choice that that's what you want. You might just want to do business with him right now if you haven't done so already. We've hardly touched the surface of this subject today, but we've set our places to walk the road less travelled, the agape road of love. I really pray that God will bless you. I thank you for listening. And I say walk on. And just in case you didn't actually catch the recommended reading, I'll go through them all and give you the authors. Love is a Choice, which was the first book I mentioned, has three authors, Robert Hemfelt, Frank Minirth and Paul Mayer. A Child No More and Dying to Change are by Mary Pitches. Holy Transformation, Chip Ingram. The Mind of Christ, T.W. Hunt. Towards a Powerful Inner Life, Graham Cook. Reduce Me to Love, Joyce Mayer. Just Love, R.T. Kendall. The Agape Road, Bob Mumford and The Secret of Loving When You Can't which is just a little booklet by M. Basilius Slink. You can get that from the Evangelical Sisterhood of Mary Radlett, Hertfordshire WD78DE God bless you all and thank you so much for listening.